Chapter 4 Before I headed back out to see Chase Hawksworth, I decided to stop at the office and check in. Mary Margaret was at her desk when I walked in the door. Fitzhugh Investigations is located in a former bank downtown, about two blocks from the courthouse. The brownstone exterior has a large angled window and two columns on either side of the door. Inside, there's a pressed tin ceiling and the long, ornate counter where the tellers once cashed the paychecks of the steelworkers on Friday afternoons. Behind the teller counter is an old vault, its black steel door still painted in gold filigree, and where I store my files. When Gracie decided I needed to hire staff, my first concern was the need for someone to run interference for me. Gracie's concern was that my female clients keep their clothing on. I placed Mary Margaret's desk right in front of the door. Next to that, a sofa and chairs Gracie called Postmodern, circled a coffee table laden with outdated magazines. I figured Mary Margaret could handle whatever idiot walked in the door before I had to. The only concession to modern times was a god-awful glassed-in enclosure I called my office. It was where the hapless bank manager sat once upon a time. I thought when I rented this place, the glass would give me privacy while still allowing me to see if anyone came in with a weapon. No one had ever done that. More often than not, the glass allowed Mary Margaret to sit and glare at me when I offended her, which was frequently. Fortunately for me, right now she was on the phone with her mother, so we didn't have to exchange any greetings as I walked by. Squeezing the receiver between her shoulder and her ear, she handed me today's mail and a stack of phone messages. Once at my desk, I flipped through the messages and looked over the mail with a cursory glance. I hated the administrative part of running this business. I had hoped that Mary Margaret would take the largest part of that load off of me, but she still felt I needed to see damn near every piece of paper or person that came in the door. What I really needed to do was get back to finding Sarah Pelfrey. Considering what happened to her vehicle, she was no doubt in danger. Considering her past, she could also be dead, just as Alicia said. As a cop, I was used to dealing with the hookers, the pimps, the junkies, the losers of this town. I had enough connections to point me in any possible directions that she had gone, but before I chased any of them down, I needed to find out a little more. I fired up the laptop and clicked through until I came to the public records section of the Clerk of Court's website. A few more clicks confirmed what Hawksworth told me about his daughter. She had a long list of drug arrests. Some of them were felonies when she was actually caught with the meth and did time in the county lockup. Some were just minor misdemeanor charges for possession of pot where she paid her fine and promised to be a good girl. All occurred before her last stint in rehab. Nothing since then. There were several other names listed in some of the court documents, aliases that she had used. Hunter Hawksworth, Sarah Hunter, Sarah Hawks, and Lucy Pelfrey. Another quick check under those names didn't yield anything. I printed a couple of the case files out and learned Sarah had worked as an exotic dancer. When the hell did they stop calling them strippers? At a club at the edge of town called Hussies. I knew from the Hernandez case she was now employed at the Cat's Meow. One of the more ironic things the fracking boom brought to Fawcettville was the outrageous growth in strip clubs and the rise in crime that followed. Housing was painfully short. Many workers lived in recreational vehicles at campgrounds, snidely called man camps, that sprang up in the county as local developers scrambled to build apartments and houses. 
Most of the workers traveled home every couple weeks, taking most of their paychecks home with them to their spouses and children. Those stuck here for the weekend were largely young, male, looking for a little excitement. Prostitution, always a problem in Fawcettville, was on the rise. Hookers from Pittsburgh arrived and departed each weekend from the Greyhound bus station, making a significant income in the man camps and the back seats of cars. Drugs were a problem too, but that one had been around for some time. This scourge left a new scar on Fawcettville. Some folks started on meth to work the outrageously long hours on the drill fields, then found they couldn't get off. Others moved to heroin after their Oxycontin wouldn't cover the pain they suffered in an oil field injury. Pablo Hernandez had been arrested more than once dealing drugs in Hussey's parking lot, and Sarah had probably met him there. According to her defense lawyer, that's where her drug use spiraled out of control. A lot of things spiraled out of control in those parking lots. Clubs like Hussey's or the Cat's Meow became centers for hormonally charged young men to waste their paychecks on lap dances or beer. When they ran out of those, they got in fistfights, either in their parking lot or back at the campgrounds. Then the cops got called, guaranteeing a free overnight stay in the county jail and, following release, a figurative ticket out of town. Every Monday, a small caravan of 25-year-olds and younger left Fawcettville with pickup trucks pulling their trailers and their last paychecks filling their pockets after pleading guilty to a misdemeanor assault charge and paying their fine. It was a system that worked well for the county. Employers concurred with the system. You got arrested on Friday or Saturday night, expect to be fired on Monday after your court appearance. After all, there were more unemployed folks eager to make a living on the fracking fields. Why deal with the problem children when you didn't have to? The system kept the crime rate, often a problem in oil boom towns, semi-manageable for law enforcement. The influx of cash into county coffers made it easy to add deputies and police officers. The incoming employees, called frack rats by a lot of folks, weren't welcomed into the fabric of Fawcett Town, especially those who went home for the weekends. They didn't buy houses, they did their shopping in their hometowns, and they didn't attend Fawcettville Church on Sundays. The thinking was that once the boom was over and corporations had sucked everything of interest from the Utica Shale beneath the ground, and F-Town old-timers had been through the bad times once before couldn't help voice that fear, the frack rats would be gone, too, in search of other opportunities. For now, mainstream Fawcettville and the surrounding county would be glad to rake in the money they brought. I turned from my computer and punched Sarah's cell number into the desk phone. No answer. Either she was dead, or too stupid to set up the voicemail account. I looked up to see Mary Margaret standing in the door of my office. Mr. Hawksworth is here, Fitz. Her orthodontics made her S's sound like juicy shushes. He looked upset. Send him back. I closed my laptop and stood to welcome him. Hawksworth clutched his yellow hardhead in his hands in front of him, but he didn't have the bullish attitude I'd seen earlier. His eyes were filled with fear. I'm sorry I had to leave earlier. You understand why now. Hawksworth sighed in assent. The police asked me if they have any idea who that poor girl could be in the back of Sarah's car. I said I have no idea, but it wasn't Sarah. Was that the truth? That you didn't know her? Yes. Yes, it was. I have no idea who the losers were that Sarah associated with. 
I wouldn't allow them to come into my house. I was afraid of theft. I know this is a difficult question to ask, but did Sarah have breast implants? No. That attribute can be traced to my ex-wife. Another question. Could Sarah have killed that girl? The police asked me that too. Sarah isn't smart enough to kill anyone. Most criminals aren't smart enough to find their ass with both hands in a road map. I can tell you from experience, when a situation gets out of control, some asshole's thinking doesn't exactly move in a straight line. As a result, other assholes end up dead. It could be an argument, an overdose, hell, even a prayer meeting breaks out. Anymore, being female doesn't mean you're not violent or capable of killing. I've seen it too many times. We have to be realistic. There's a good chance somebody's after Sarah. More than likely, it's Pablo Hernandez, the guy she was supposed to testify against. But we have to be prepared that something happened, and that she could be guilty. Rattled, Hawksworth ran his fingers through his flat-top hair. God, I hope not. On both counts. The police are going to pound the pavement and look for anybody associated with Pablo Hernandez, because, let's face it, she was going to testify against him. Let's look where they probably are, and hopefully we'll find her where they won't. I need some place to start searching for her. Do you know the names of anyone she associated with? Anyone at all? Her boss, Tony Repetto, at the Cat's Meow. I met him once. I don't know anyone else. I pulled a contract from my desk drawer and shoved it in his direction. Here's my hourly rates. I get that much, plus expenses. I bill monthly, although most cases don't last that long. Most get solved within a few days. Hawksworth looked up at me as he scrawled his signature across the bottom of the contract, his fatherly concern for his daughter retreating as the numbers began to add up in his mind. He pulled out his checkbook and dashed off a quick $500 retainer. Let's hope so, he said. Let me know when this runs out and we'll decide what to do next. I looked sideways at him. What was more important, his wallet or his daughter? Tony Repetto was one of the locals who profited on the boom without having to go anywhere near an oil field. Mid-thirties, broad-shouldered and arrogant, Tony had an eye for what was needed and how to profit from it, and fast. He opened the cat's meow within six months of the first well being drilled. Previously, Repetto had a decent business where he did a fair-to-middling job repairing motorcycles in his old four-bay garage on the outskirts of town. Then the fracking boom came. Tony sized up the market quickly and converted his garage to the cat's meow. You'd think a strip club in an eastern Ohio oil boom town would be ripe for picking by the mob, but that wasn't what I'd heard about Tony Repetto. The cat's meow didn't get a lot of calls for fights, like some of the other clubs. Didn't get a lot of calls at all. Tony and his crew of bouncers wouldn't tolerate bad behavior, and he was big enough himself to throw anyone out who pissed him off, whether they were drunk, violent, or trying to shake him down. Tony's control of what happened at the club didn't just stay within the walls. From what I heard, his girls could safely walk naked through the parking lot after a shift, should they so desire, thanks to the marked and unmarked security Repetto kept there. As I walked into the dark interior, I caught a glimpse of Tony behind the bar, which was stocked with watered-down grocery store booze. Beside the bar, a cooler was lit with blue neon and filled with canned beer. In another corner was a stage, three chrome poles where the girls, 
barely dressed in pasties, thongs, and sky-high stilettos, moved to the beat of the pounding music, their eyes as dull as the linoleum floor. Tony nodded at me as I took a seat on the shiny blue vinyl bar stool and handed him my business card. Niccolo Fitzhugh, Fitzhugh Investigations. I was wondering if you could help me out. As long as you're not a cop, I'm glad to help anybody out. Tony held my business card close to the light under the bar. Niccolo Fitzhugh, huh? I think I heard about you from one of my girls. That wouldn't happen to be Sarah Pelfrey, would it? You mean Lucy? At least that's the stage name she danced under. None of my girls use their real names, you understand. They don't want any clients being able to find them after their shifts. They also get paid strictly in cash. After the appropriate taxes are deducted, of course. I get it. And yes, it would be Lucy that I'm talking about. I could have thrown out any of the aliases I found in the court records when I did the background check. I wonder how many Repetto really knew. Have you seen her in the last couple of days? He tossed my business card back across the bar at me. Hell no. Haven't seen her or another one of my other girls, Tommy Lynn, for a couple of days. But that's the business. Just means more hours for the other dances. If you want to call them that. I looked over my shoulders. The redhead on the center pole flashed a smile that didn't match her bored eyes. She hooked a leg and an arm around the pole and swung around as the men seated around the stage sat, quietly, intently, waiting for her to sashay over so they could get the quick thrill of sliding their dollar bills into her G-string. It's fucking three in the afternoon. All these assholes have jobs. Probably, I answered myself. They probably work nights on an oil well. So tell me about Lucy. How long did she work here? He shrugged. She started here after she got out of rehab, six, eight months ago. I guess it was meth or something, but she seemed clean the whole time she was here, if that's what you want to know. She used to work at, uh, Hussies. She was good-looking and needed the money. She knew the business, so I didn't ask a whole lot of questions. She did tell me she needed some time off this week, some about a court case. She was gone for about three days, then I came back in, worked Wednesday night, and I haven't seen her since. That fit together with the time she was in the hotel room with Mary Margaret and me. So did she have any other friends other than Tommy Lynn? Any other dancers she was friends with? Anybody else come in to see her? He shook his head. No, she pretty much kept to herself. If she had friends, they never came in here. Lucy was a great dancer, but between you and me, I'm glad to not have to deal with Tommy Lynn anymore. Why is that? Fucking tranny. He came in here looking for work. Prettier than my other girls, I had to say. Then two days ago, a client asked for a little something-something, you know what I mean? You mean a lap dance? I don't know what was going on in these private rooms. For all I know, Tommy Lynn could have been teaching this guy Greek. In the current climate, most local owners provided small rooms with plastic-covered couches for what they called private parties, and denied any knowledge of what happened there. Under Ohio law, clients cannot touch the dancers, and vice versa. That could end up with the owner and the dancer facing misdemeanor charges of one kind or another. Stack up enough of those charges and an adult entertainment establishment starts to look like a public nuisance that needs to be closed down. Tony was answering the questions just the way his lawyers would want him to. So, whatever transpired back there. The guy comes roaring out of the back and up to the bar and he's pissed as hell. He apparently grabbed Tommy Lynn and finds a handful of... Not what he expected, you get what I mean? I smirked. Hey, everybody's got to make a living somehow. Yeah, you're real funny. It took three of my bouncers to get the guy out of here. 
Turns out this guy beat the shit out of Tommy Lynn, too, before he left. Lucy found him, and I think she took him to the emergency room. That's the last I saw of either of them. I'd like to have Lucy back, but I don't give a rat's ass if I never see Tommy Lynn again. Gives the place a reputation, know what I mean? So what did Tommy Lynn look like? He, I mean, she looked like a real babe. Now that's why I hired her. Dark curly hair, tits out to there, real pretty face, perfect smile. Tall. Legs went on forever. I mean, he walked in the door, I was convinced it was female. So I hired her, I mean, I hired him. Turns out he's one of those transgenders who thinks he can con clients into believing he's a girl. Tony spit his words out like they were poison. How pissed was this guy about Tommy Lynn? Pissed enough to follow him home? Tony thought for a moment and nodded. Yeah, this guy, his name is uh, Ed Nash. He's a real hothead. I've had to throw him out of here before. Needless to say, he ain't coming back here again, and neither is Tommy Lynn. So this Ed Nash, what do you know about him? He works for Full Bore Drilling and lives in one of the campgrounds. Real hard drinker. Ugly when he's drunk, too. Wasn't the first time I had problems with him, but it was the first time I called his boss, uh, Hawksworth. I came in and got him. That was an experience, too. Chase Hawksworth walks in the place, takes one look at the girls, and nearly gags, like he's never seen naked titties before. He grabbed Nash by the arm and got him out of here fast. Probably because he recognized his daughter working here. I filed that information away and continued. You know, the police found Sarah's car on fire near her place earlier today. There was a body in the trunk, burned beyond recognition. The only thing that could be identified were two breast implants. What are the odds that body was Tommy Lynn? Tony shook his head and dried his hands on a bar rag. I couldn't help thinking he was wiping evidence off, even symbolically. He looked me straight in the eye. His gaze was cold and hard. Anything's possible.